0: We can talk about anything you want. As J. It, ignorant.
1: Welcome to J. Ignorance. This is episode snippets one. So I've got this DJI mic system, right? So it's two little lapel mics. Super easy. You just put them on whoever and record whatever. And so you can get these little snippets of conversation with friends and family or whoever wants to talk to me. And uh, the format is not at all organized. There isn't like a thought process or an outline or a beginning or a middle or an end or anything. So if you don't like this format, go ahead and go into the podcast feed and skip all the episodes that start with snippets and then a number. (laughs) I will not blame you. Uh, So anyway, this episode, Snippets 1, is me talking to my parents over the – Uh, Christmas holiday and we're talking about uh, religion and uh, where's my show notes here somewhere come back show notes Uh, we're talking about oneness and belonging and oceanic feeling and non-dualism and some cool books and stuff that I'll link in the um, show notes Uh, anyway so this is my folks and then at the end we talked about the dog who's always being talked about Uh, It's all very, very exciting. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy this format.
2: (laughs) Whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jim, the the book that you got on the re-enchantment of the universe? Yeah. I was reading that this morning Mm -hmm. and came across an idea which I had not encountered before.
2: Thought I thought you hadn't thought
0: before? Well, the author... Thought me into a thought. Uh-huh. And the thought was that we who are inclined toward a preference for science as a basis for knowledge and perspective mm-hmm. um, mostly think that science deals with the five senses. Right. Um, that which is tangible and uh, related can be perceived and intercepted by the five senses. Proven by replication and stuff like that. Exactly. So the author of this book says that there's um, an omission in science knowledge there because in reality particularly for the last, and that book was written in 2006, uh, particularly for the last 50-ish years, well, that'd be a little long, 35 years, there has been a great deal of science method study conducted on the sixth sense um, which, which is not tangibly based uh, and that that study in fact was the roots of that study were intertwined with the roots of the study of, of quantum physics and the things that science is now Claiming to know about um, the nature of the universe as a whole, things like entanglement and um, hmm. uh, non-local um, awareness, and things like that. So the sixth sense is something beyond intuition, or well, basically, or... basically, it, it's the realm. Sixth sense is the realm of perception beyond sight, sound, mm-hmm. touch, mm-hmm. Uh, taste. Taste, yeah. yeah, whatever the five are, yeah. yeah. So. so you were talking about uh, common ground between. You and Jay, um, and I, I think I've heard you, Jay, say in the past that your, your preference is to deal in the five senses and in science. Um, if I can't see it, smell it, taste it, feel it, hear it, um, I don't put as much credence in it. Did I remember hearing you say that?
1: Uh, so I, yeah, so I, I think there's there's scientifically reproducible things, phenomenon, and then uh-huh. there's everything else, and the everything else, I think, is not very communicable to other people, so if you're having personal experiences, like, by definition, those are personal experiences that you're not expecting to be able to reproduce somewhere else or in someone else's head or in someone else's whatever, so it seems to me that... Personal experiences can be extremely real, whether that's, hey, I'm in touch with God, or whether that's, uh, I'm having a psychotic break, or, you know, whatever it is. Those personal experiences aren't directly communicable as, hey, like, like math would be, or like a scientifically reproducible event would be, right? Where you can put the exact same people into a set of circumstances which are identical. And, mm-hmm. and see how they are, you know, right. behaving. But that right. doesn't mean that they're not valuable. I mean, like that could be the most valuable thing in your life, and that's totally legitimate, right? Like if I'm having a bunch of personal experiences, that's a completely legitimate. Not <laughs> like I'm not I'm not passing judgment on personal experiences. What I do have a problem with is when people take personal experience. And try to translate that to a, a flock of the masses or whatever, where they're the trying universe, to say, "Hey, look, I had this personal experience, and therefore, you ten thousand people all need to uh, yeah. <laughs> bend your <laughs> yeah. bend your interaction with the universe towards my personal experience that I had." By definition, a personal experience is not a good argument.
0: That's a good <laughs> right? point. Or trying yeah. to
1: change other people's minds or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> so. That, that doesn't mean that it's not the most important thing in your life or that it's not important. It does, you know, it, it can be. It can be the most important thing in your life and it can be the most important, uh, extremely important to you as an individual. But that doesn't mean I can ever get there, right? Like, the only way I can get there is if you can have the aliens come abduct me too, <laughs> right? So if we can flag down the aliens and they can come get me, you know, then you and I can compare notes about how your alien abduction went versus how my alien abduction went. But usually that's not how alien abduction experiences work. <clears throat> so they're far less value. They're, they're not an argument for someone trying to change the way that they're blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that but that doesn't mean you can't communicate through th- things to me about hey i had these personal experiences and they're not powerful for me they just don't directly translate and what i what i don't like to see is organized religion taking personal experience and trying to cram it down other people's throats Mm -hmm. as the only correct way to live based on my unreproducible you know that's that's (laughs) sucks
2: yeah religion has a tendency to create a problem Let's, let's call it sin and then they create a solution, which is called repentance and confession, and then all of a sudden they have an industry going, you know. Right. And uh, that's, that's very problematic, and I totally agree with you. And I'm having a real problem right now, personally, with uh, Christian nationalism, you know, because I'm thinking what they really want is the same thing the Taliban wants, which is they want everyone to profess Jesus Christ as their personal savior and all that stuff. and. And they've got everything all mixed up. So they have religion and and you know state, the 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 state and the church and state all kind of. That's all one word: church and state. That's mm-hmm. what they. That's what they're going for: a church and yeah. state. You know, we're a Christian nation, right? I mean, everybody knows that, right? You know, pilgrim fathers and all that stuff. Well, that's a bunch of bull, you know. Really, if you ch- check out your history much, so. But that's helpful to helpful for me to me to understand what you're saying there. That. Scientists don't necessarily have to critique or or attack, uh, and that's that's what we experienced at Skepticon. There were some people there that were on the attack, like they, in their life, religion oh. was so abusive that they felt like they needed to attack it and even destroy it. But other most of the people that we encountered down there weren't like that at all. They were just saying, "Hey, I don't have to believe what you believe. You know, if you're a Christian or." Well, some some of them
1: are recovering abuse victims. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm and sure a lot of are. them are. Yeah. And some of them are um, reveling in feeling like they've been reempowered after years or decades of being right. subjugated to us yeah. as a religious system or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten momentarily that <clears throat> the three of us went down to Missouri and attended a Skepticon in mm-hmm. Southern Missouri. Right.
0: I've never, for, I've yeah. never forgotten it. <laughs> well, which that was a really <laughs> that, good experience. That was the Second time I went. Yeah. I don't remember
1: much about
0: that yeah. Skepticon.
2: I
1: remember traveling with you guys, and I remember there was a big lava blue about a guy that had a gun in the, at Skepticon, and that's about all I remember from that one. I remember a lot from my first Skepticon. That was in Omaha. But then I think I told you about that Skepticon when I had the when I had the when you came out religious breakdown, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I came out as an atheist. I've told that story on another podcast or so.
2: We were telling somebody just this last week about uh-huh. we've been to Skepticon because yeah. you know, yeah. I think it it lays people's concerns about how Christianity has become so judgmental and so self righteous and pious and and all that. You know, that, so I think I think doubt is an important skepticism is an important aspect of faith even. Well, and as
0: I recall, our point in that conversation was affirming the kind of relationship that we have with Jay that would incline us when he said, um, I went to a skepticon and I'm going to go to another one, would incline us to say, oh, can we go? You know, we're Mm -hmm. curious about what you experienced there, what others experienced there.
2: What are those free thinkers up to now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so this is the little book of atheist spirituality. Yeah. Uh, did you want me to read and reflect on this? Or?
2: Yeah, at some point or another. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about, about it. You know, the oceanic experience is kind of like your your ego, your egoic self, kind of disappears in its larger... Cosmic oh, yeah. awareness. Yeah, okay, you and I were
1: talking about those. Yeah,
2: that's what last it was. Yeah, and you mentioned several times in scuba diving that you had had that kind of experience, where you sort of lost yourself, if you will, in in the larger uh, thing. So that I, I find it fascinating. It's like uh, I've been thinking about this and pondering it for several decades now. Like where where do I stop? And God or the cosmos or whatever start. Um, and there's a, a book study I was in uh, with a book by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he, he talks about this process of interbeing, you know, where everything is interrelated and there's really such a connectivity that you can't, uh, to the point that, in his viewpoint anyway, you can talk about death and you, you talk about birth as moments in history you know, your first breath and your last breath. But in reality, if you really ponder that, there's so much <laughs> that caused you to manifest as the individual that you are that started 14 billion years ago or earlier with the Big Bang and all the, so many of the elements of your very body are, you know, stardust and this whole thing. So where where did you actually, where were you we actually born? Well, weren't you really born in that, whatever that was, and then you know at the other end of the spectrum when you die you know you, your elements are not going to go away you know there's going to be transformed and into something else but but there's there's an ongoingness about about that and i so for me this whole idea of an evolutionary view of god and thinking about god if you owe god this this cosmic or even bigger than cosmic process that's ongoing you know it's ener- energetically ongoing it could go on forever, as far as we know, you know, uh, and then there's all these mysteries, like like quantum physics, which you know, defy reason, you know? I mean they they're irrational, you know, but p- perhaps true, and I keep thinking about uh, how little we know, uh, you know like in terms of di- so much of the cosmos, apparently, the vast majority of it's dark matter and dark energy, which we can which we can't even see. Or can't even measure. We can only surmise is there because of the way stuff that we can measure is affected by it. <laughs> so I'm thinking, man, if that doesn't make you humble, I mean, <laughs> what's that tell you about <laughs> <What>? <laughs> your the way you've ordered things in your head? You know. <laughs>
1: So where, where do you feel that oneness with everything?
2: Oh, it's always in nature. I think. Well, well, that's not true. Sometimes it's in uh, in uh, communication with people, you know, um, and sometimes it's in uh, worship services. Uh, sometimes it's in music. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but nature probably most I can remember like being out. Uh, out In the woods and there'd be a cottonwood tree there which which is a sacred tree to the Native Americans and the the way the cottonwood trees grow their their leaves uh, are suspended in such a way that the, that there's a what would you call it a whisper or a rustling there's a rustling that's going on you know and I, there was something about that that one, one time I was experienced that so what, Another, kind of, what kind of music makes you feel connected like that? Oh, cello music, <laughs> most recently. <Yeah. laughs> Man, we bought, a, bought Sharon for her birthday. Uh, 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 I don't remember the artist's name. Yo-Yo Ma? That's no. That's the only one I know. That's yeah. the only cellist I've ever heard. <clears throat> I think he's a cellist. Do you, do you remember his name? Uh, I don't remember his name, but we ought to look that up. I would
0: love for Jay and Steph to see the, the, um, oh. him sitting you know, playing the cello. Well, we can find it on YouTube yeah. if I can
2: think of his first name. I, I think we can. Yeah, anyway, can that yeah. So music's a big one. As a matter of fact, a lot of times in worship services, it's the music that that I, you know gives me that sense of, of oneness or belonging or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't. It's that's a, interesting because I've never labeled that oneness. Uh, I label it belonging. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't, I don't have a sense necessarily of of uh, connectivity to everything. That's not a part of of mm-hmm. my experience. It's just, it's a, it's a cosmic acceptance and affirmation, and you know.
2: So that's still something out there, and you over here, and you feel like you belong. So what I'm talking about in terms of oceanic feeling is more that that dissolves. Right. It's
0: all one. Yeah, I understand. But I'm just saying that I've I've not experienced that in that way. You haven't interpreted it that way. No. I haven't put meaning to it in that way.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you do a huge amount of meditation compared to me, you know. So I would have thought that you probably would have been down the road With all that, quite a
0: ways. Pretty unpredictable stuff.
1: (laughs) Once you you have a sense of belonging, aren't you one with everything? Isn't that what belonging is? What's the difference between belonging and oneness?
0: I think for me, the difference is... um, just... it's it's a sense of affirmation and safety uh, and... Of peace, sort. So it it doesn't pick up the the notion of oneness with other stuff.
1: So you still feel individualized but accepted, not merged into the. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's good language for what I experience. How I anchor what I experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we. Uh, Read recently, it talked about the, the. Uh, s- sometimes people think of death as like the the drop merging with the ocean, but another way of considering that is that the ocean is in each drop, you know. So, which, which way? You know, if you think about holograms, and how the same things replicated over and over and over again, you know. So, um, that, to me, that's uh, an interesting thing to scroll around. <laughs> it's like, so so, uh, so for me right now, if I was to define my theology, I would say that there's this uh, energetic evolutionary force, the Big Bang or beyond, I mean, when, what was there before the Big Bang, you know? Uh, you know, why is there something instead of nothing, you know, sort of thing. But anyway, that that is happening. And then it manifests itself in so many different ways, you know, as a pair of scissors, you know, as a table, whatever, and as me. And so I am a manifestation of that force and not, and not separate from that force. Like that is that force and I are actually <laughs> kind of one and the same, but not quite. There's a paradoxical <laughs> nature to all of life, it seems to me, you know. Life and death, joy and sorrow, light and dark, the duality and the and the thing I think we're uh, moving towards i think is uh, kind of I'll speak for myself sort of a non dualistic way of trying to uh, think about life yeah.
0: well, and for me, the other aspect it is it's uh it's it's a removing the considerations of ultimate reality from within the context of organized religion. Right. Know it's, okay. uh, I'm at a point in my life where organized religion uh, is having far less meaning and importance in my life. Uh, And I'm going to give you back this. Oh, are you not being recorded? I'm being
2: recorded. Okay. <laughs> so where is this being recorded to? Your phone or something? It's <laughs> so going in there. Oh, really? Just, uh, seriously? Yeah. A little memory chip in there? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: what do you think, dog? Do you want to be interviewed?
2: So I think Huey is a manifestation of that Uh energetic life force uh, just as much as as anything else. Just like rocks and stuff. (coughs) Huey is more life
1: force than most things, I would say. (laughs) He's a real pain in the butt sometimes. He
2: is. (laughs) But he's a lovely pain in the butt. You need to
1: just chillax more. (laughs) Why can't you just let people come and go? They're not a threat.
2: Yeah, so here's my... Here's my question. This has to do with humanoids as well as canines, which is that So, if if uh, Huey has been traumatized, which I think to me it's pretty evident that he has been. I'll traumatize him.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen Traumatized yet. I'll traumatize the crap out of that dog. <laughs> there, i got to make sure he's not messing with Mom.
2: <laughs> so... so. So I read a while back that uh, uh, the trauma, which isn't transformed, gets transmitted, yeah. yeah. and I wonder like with Huey, will Huey be able to come to a point where by virtue of your love and care for him that that member will see to the point that he may uh, actually be more like dude. <laughs> You know, more mellowed out. You know. Well, I think and he has. Uh, he's he's starting to do that, right? I well, mean, it seems to me
1: he is. Yeah, he's made a lot of progress. Yeah, we can go places and do well. I don't know. Like, like generally speaking, so so he used to be terrified of vehicles on the road, hmm. and his his response to that was to attack them, like he would run at every car. Oh wow. You know. And that's that hasn't happened in quite a while.
2: Did, um, didn't you learn when you adopted him that he had been hit by a car or something like that? Yeah. That he'd been, yeah. yeah. Yes. Hmm.
1: So his response to that, depending on the type of vehicle, is to try to run after it and yeah. show that car that he's not scared by yeah. being aggressive to the car. Yeah. Which is not helpful. Um <laughs> And that's calmed down quite a bit. He's calmed down quite a bit around strangers at a distance. Like, he's like, oh, hey, there's just people over there, right? So yeah. I think a lot of that is just um, taking him places. It, and he's still not good. Like, we can't, we still can't just, like, walk around a PetSmart and, you know, not be worried about him because he's
2: reactive. Because other dogs are there, you mean? Like at PetSmart? People, you go, another dog. Oh, oh, yeah, both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, um hmm.
1: but he's better than he was, but he's still not great. Yeah.
2: Can you take and him to a dog park? Do you trust him to do that, or does it depend so on whether I've, I've oh, the dogs are there?
1: I've only taken him to a dog park on leash. Like I've never let him off leash yeah. at a dog park, and he did pretty good, and then pretty good, and then pretty good, and then not so good, That's and good. then pretty good, and actually at the dog park it, the the biggest incident we had wasn't his fault. He got surrounded. So he's the only one on a leash. And the other dogs, too many other, you know, they get excited, and then he gets defensive, and then, you know, he
2: gets snarly, Mm -hmm. because he wants everybody to back off. You're a pretty snarly dog at 100 pounds, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's scary when he... Yeah, you've seen yeah, you see more of that than I have, but I, I yeah. was kind of startled by what happened to Zach last night.
1: Yeah. Oh, that no, that's, that was yeah, that's just normal and fully under control. Yeah. He didn't get him. Yeah, I know he didn't, yeah. And I don't think he was trying to get him. Yeah. He just was really uncomfortable when he reached. So.
2: Big caution sign. You leave me alone, I leave you alone. But, you know, I I would have given him a... Yeah, you know,
1: except for the stuff recently with Steve specifically for some reason where we've, we've backslid, and I don't know what that's
2: about. But. Oh, so he's he's that way towards Steve Steve shows up? He,
1: he has decided Steve's a threat oh, really? all of a
2: sudden. Well, what's the deal with that?
1: Because they were, he loved Steve for a year and a half.
2: Yeah, what's the deal with that,
1: huh? So, would we... We think maybe it was because he jumped, so like he has food issues, right, yeah. so some mom and I have each had to do a lot of work with him on his behavior when food's around, and does he get possessive um he wants to dominate for he wants to control the food,
2: yeah
1: so. Um, the dynamics him and mom, the dynamics him and me him and mom and food, and him and me and food, and the three of us, plus food are three totally separate sets of mm-hmm. scenarios we 've had mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. on on yeah. Um, yeah. but anyway, with Steve, he has no food manners because Steve has never given him food, so he Tried to jump and grab food out of Steve's, Steve's hand. Oh, wow. Well, that gets him put in the kennel. Well, I wasn't here. Steve put him in the kennel. And ever since Steve put him in the kennel, he's decided Steve's a threat. Be dying. So, you know, I was up here washing dishes and Steve's. What, what happened? They were. Downstairs, he reasons on the other side of the gate, and I hear this huge snarling sound. You know, so I yell at him because I establish dominance, I guess, over <laughs> over oh, yeah. the dog because he's not allowed to do that. Whatever the situation is, he's not allowed to do that anyway. I come all the way downstairs, and he sees me, and he goes in the kennel, and I close the door, and that's the end of but what had happened is him and Steve was on the other side of the gate but he so he wasn't he wasn't gonna let Steve come he wasn't even trying to go in there he was yeah I don't know what he was doing but anyway yeah so yikes (laughs) yeah (laughs) you sir (laughs) bad so he didn't try to bite him but he you know that's the step before trying to bite I assume yeah I I mean I hope he'll never biting anybody no matter how scared he is but you know it's you know Minnie kicks in a bunch of stuff Minnie was 15 pounds and her (laughs) defense mechanism always was to act like she's going to rip your head off
2: yeah chase the turkey (laughs) well
1: in a small dog that's easy to see that that's her being scared she doesn't think she can win the fight this is her best defense mechanism when she's scared but in a 100-pound in a dog, when they have that same scared reaction, it's yeah. terrifying.
2: It I mean, really is. Could, yeah, you're thinking, oh, my God. He could mess you up. Go under the juggler. What a dog.
1: And, I, you know, Chris and I were reflecting on this yesterday or two days ago that, you know, Chris and I, when he was new to the house and he didn't understand any boundaries about how he plays with Chris and I in the valley... Chris and I have both pinned him to the ground before yeah. because he would not cooperate, he wouldn't listen, he was jumping inappropriately, he was right. playing with teeth, He, you know, he wasn't understanding that it's not acceptable, it's not a game. So you try to correct him verbally and he's like, oh, okay, we're getting loud now, this is fun. So he just gets louder <laughs> and meaner sounding. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, this is the greatest game ever, this like aggression <laughs> oh, you know geez, yeah. you yell at me, i'll show you how I can be scary yeah. like that, yeah. so anyway, yeah, he's ended up you know pinned to the ground until he settles down, so you're physically got him in the ground for thirty seconds or whatever until he submits you know, hmm. so Chris and I have both done that with him in the backyard when he was completely out of control in terms of his behavior and you let him up and he's fine <laughs> because you know now he's like oh okay we weren't playing that wasn't a game that was yeah. anyway and so Chris was reflecting that you know Chris has done that a bunch of times some of which I'm sure were very uncomfortable for the dog because he was out of control like he was being really pr- a problem and he loves Chris I mean and Mike he loves him he has no problems with Chris, yeah. so Chris was saying, "Well, it's you know, it's crazy that mm-hmm. Steve can put him in a kennel once and it turns him against him for three weeks, whereas I've had him, you know, I've wrestled, pinned him to the ground f- with force, you know, mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> he has no problem with Chris. Yeah. <laughs> like, dog it, psychology. What's it was with it you, was dog? I mean, hmm? What's with you? after it was over, ten seconds later, it's over. There was no no problem." And he's well, stopped Chris, behaving uh, that way.
0: Chris was the initial adoptee, though, right? I mean, yeah. they were fostering. Yeah, Chris
1: anything? had him for six weeks or whatever before yeah. we had him.
0: So he has a long-term relationship with
1: Chris. Yeah, Is and we're we're out there every day with Chris.
2: So. Had you guys been going, he, going out during this room? O- only once, yeah. huh?
0: Was he displaying those same overly aggressive behaviors with before you adopted
1: him? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He says he feels bad that he didn't tell me <laughs> before the adoption. As
2: well
0: he should. Yeah. If we're going to stay on schedule, Jim, we need to
2: I seem to have lost all track of time here for some reason or another. So you're telling so me it's so about 9 o'clock or something 9:30. like that? Oh, good grief. <laughs> all right, give me my microphone back. <laughs> Oh, you don't well, want me to run off your microphone. Interview's
1: over. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. You're certainly uh, I think these will be fun in uh, Scotland. I have oh, a bunch of fun. Yeah. conversations about where we, we are just and just what, what we're experiencing. So. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: You're still recording yourself. So. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'll go. Okay. So we don't expect to see me back here until maybe